Welcome to the Mind Sensei Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and I'll be taking you on a journey to the world of martial arts and introduce listeners to some of the most aspiring and knowledgeable practitioners from around the world. Whether you're a seasoned martial artist or a curious beginner, or just enjoy hearing a great story, the Mind Sensei Podcast Down Under has something for everyone. So tune in, sit back, and let us take you on a journey through the world in martial arts. Part 1. The Evolution of Wisdom in Martial Arts. Conversation with Mr. Paul Dye. Ladies and gentlemen, martial arts aficionados and seekers of knowledge, welcome to an enlightening episode of the Mind Sensei podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and today marks the beginning of an extraordinary two-part interview that will take you on a journey through time, wisdom, and remarkable life of a true martial arts luminary. Imagine the fall of 1972 in Glen. Kempo Karate Studio. Little did he know that this singular moment would ignite a lifelong dedication to the art and pave a way for the legacy that continues to resonate today. Join me as we delve into the early days of Mr. Dyer's Kempo career when he embarked on a path guided by determination and relentless efforts. It was under the tutelage of Mr. Jim Thompson, a fourth degree black belt at the time, that Mr. Dyer began his journey towards excellence. In just 18 months, his un- himself in 1974. But this journey was not about personal achievement. As an orange bell, Mr. Dye took on the role of an instructor, teaching his students of varying ranks. With 50 years of teaching experience under his belt, he continues to share his vast knowledge and communicate the essence of Kempo Karate. Mr. Dye's connection with Grandmaster Parker extended beyond the dojo walls. He had the privilege of spending time at both Pasadena and Santa Monica studios, where he became part of education. The knowledge and guidance he gained from Mr. Parker became a cornerstone of his philosophy, which he passionately imparts to this day. As we navigate through Mr. Dye's journey, we'll explore his remarkable achievements in the competitive arena. As we navigate through Mr. Dye's journey, we'll explore his remarkable achievements in the competitive arena, with an array of Black Belt International trophies and Black Belt Grand Championship titles in a mere two and a half years of competition. Of Defence Division, a testament to his dedication to the art and its evolution. This is a glimpse into the wealth of knowledge and experiences that await in this two-part interview. Join us on the Mind Sensei podcast as we peel back the layers of martial arts history, delve into the philosophy of Kempo Karate and gain insights into the transformative power of martial arts on the mind, body and spirit. Stay tuned for the upcoming episode where we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Dye and uncover even more of the captivating journey that has shaped martial arts philosophy, personal growth, an extraordinary journey of Mr. Paul Dye in this part one of this two-part episode, as we continue to unravel the treasures of wisdom and inspiration that martial arts hold.
Welcome to the Mind Sensei podcast, Mr. Paul Dye, Kempo Master, 10th degree, Senior Master of the Arts. Been in Kempo a long, long time, and we've been hanging to get you on the podcast to hear your journey and story and share it with the world. So thanks for thanks for meeting with us, sir. Very much appreciate you have, uh, having me on board. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. So you too. Tell us, how did you get started in martial arts? Martial arts for me was not really on the roadmap, an accident. Back in 72, if we go back in time, the Bruce Lee era was in full swing with the movies. Uh, the Chuck Norris and Billy Jack. So martial arts was real popular. Uh, at the college campus where I was going to school, Mr. Hebler started a Kempo club on campus. A girl in class wanted to check that out. So I walked her over to the gym, kind of poked my head in to make sure it was safe for her to go in. And instead of her going in, I gra got grabbed and forced in. Well, let's check it out. And uh, as you well know, back in the day, things were a little different. So instead of a nice introduction, a nice hello, I just kind of got snapped and kind of liked it. Felt pretty good. It's like, okay, how do we do this? And then she took off, of course, and everybody else took off and it just kind of left me with a fellow who actually became my instructor, Jim Thompson, and away we went. So it was kind of by chance, I guess you would say. Nice, nice. So, so Jim Thompson was your first instructor, and he was under Dave Hebler, yeah? And um, how long did you stay yeah. with Jim? How long did you stay training with Jim? In calendar time, it was about 11 and a half months. But the in instruction was definitely not ordinary. At that time, I was living in my car and really didn't have a residence, so... With nowhere to go, I just went to the studio right when it opened. There was nowhere else to go, so I just went there. And Jim was just a very generous person with his wisdom and his skill. And, the, you know, the agreement was if I was there, he would teach me. So, of course, with nowhere to go, I'd stay late, you know, between 9 and 11 o'clock at night. He's still there. So as long as there wasn't students on the mat, yep. he was taking me through a curriculum, right? Right at the end of that 11-month, one-year time period, Mr. Hebler was invited to go with Elvis, and Jim kind of tagged along, and then, of course, the studio closed. You know, as far as, like, formal teaching, that was it. You know, as far as uh, me with an instructor. But, of course, in hours... You know, a lot of hours, you know, slammed into a a real short period of time. Yeah. So I always was very blessed to have him. He's a great person. What time would you start your training? Classes start about stop at four o'clock or something? Jim would go to the studio at 10 a.m. That was kind of when we opened. Martial arts was very popular, so there a lot of inquiring people at the time. So you could actually open at 10 in the morning and close at 10 at night. And phone calls usually had between 90 and 100 phone calls a day. And walk-ins, you usually had between 10 and 20. 
So it was a very popular thing. So of course you had to be there, you know, to make the business work. So, you know, from 10 to 10, we're, we're on like it's business time. Yeah. Okay. So you're doing 12 hour days with him training. So if you're only training two hours a week or four hours a week, that's, you know, probably equivalent of about eight years worth of training straight up. Right. I think in hours it kind of works the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's time spent on the mat, really, is the experience you get. But if you're doing 10-hour, right. 12-hour days, that's, that's quite a bit of information. That's tough. Yeah, nice. So then from there, the club shut. What happened after that? When the studio closed, I was actually ready to go back to the sport that I was playing before. From, I don't know, eight years old, I was in a bowling alley, bowling. So... That's kind of where I was sport-wise. That was kind of the path I was going on. So I thought, well, I'll just go back to that and I'll be happy. That'll be good. And then it was a short time after that, you know, there was a knock at our door. I answered the door. It was a teenager that was from Mr. Hebler's studio that had found out where me and Patty were living. And he had rode his bike from school. He came after school. He's about 14 years old. And he wanted to know if I would teach him. I said, nah, I, I'm good. I mean, I, I, I'm ready to move back to where I was comfortable. So he took off. Well, he came back a couple consecutive days. Yeah, And you know, on the, the third one, he, I mean, he was pretty straight up. I mean, is it, you know, he goes, you taught me at Mr. Hebler's studio. You're my teacher, so if you don't teach me, who's going to? Who was that individually? Wow. That was Dave Thompson. Okay. So it it hit me pretty good. It's like, you know, the kid's looking up to me, so it's like, well, I said, I tell you what, why don't you, you grab your gear and then ride your bike, and then we'll start tomorrow. So once that happened, and of course, me and Patty opened the garage, he brought a couple friends and he brought a, a relative who was a cousin. Keeping in mind that karate was kind of a popular thing, we had 30 guys within the first few weeks because it was just a popular no, thing. So is it a big so garage? It's just a 22 by 22, yep. 22 feet by 22 feet. And then you could run the basics okay, you know, and, and the form's kind of okay, the technique's okay, but when we fought, it was kind of one pair at a time because it takes a lot of room. So we just kind of alternate pairs and move in and then the other guys step out. So, you know, it kind of worked good. Of course, in the those 70s, it was a little bit more rugged than, you know, what it is now. Yeah. It was actually bare knuckle in those days, if you remember. Yeah, we were talking about that before. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, foam dip equipment I mean, it came in later you know, in the late seventies and then, you know, we had foam dip equipment, but you know, in the early days it was just kind of tape the knuckles. You just do your thing and you know, it was all good. So, you know, as far as how I got started actually teaching at home, that was how I got teaching at home at the dojo, Pete, what was a little unique in my case. And it, again, I mean, I was very fortunate to have Jim teach me. Mr. Parker's curriculum was changing. He was changing curriculum from 
what he had to more what is kind of standard today, sort of. And during that transition, Jim was getting material from Mr. Parker at home. So he would come back to Glendora where our studio was and he would teach me that material. As he was delivering the material, he was teaching me how to teach the material. And there is a difference. It was a dramatic difference on how you relay the information to a student than just doing the material. So I was really fortunate. And then within probably two or three weeks at the studio, back, you know, going back a little bit, when I first started, within a two-week period, I was already teaching beginners. So the teaching at the studio was so, kind of right away. So what rank was that at the studio you were teaching at? What belt? Yellow. Yellow. Yellow belt. Okay. Yep. In those days, each student that signed up the studio got private instruction. That student was assigned an instructor to actually get your ranking material. And then anybody that was that had gone through the intro program and had signed up, they gave them to me. So I was okay. teaching all the intros, then all the yellow curriculum, and then the orange curriculum. At what age were you when you started doing that? I'm not sure if I got what, how old you were when you started learning with Mr. Thompson. You were in high school, right? Is that right? Junior. 19, 19, 18 or 19. It'd be a first year of college, so I guess 19. Yeah, sure. I was just sort of trying to get an idea at what age you were in terms of, you know, how old and how much, how mature as a man you are, you know, 19 and 30 are two different things, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was 19. You were then teaching in a garage. Yeah, we took the first set of fellows. There were two that were eventually went all the way to black. And of course, those fellows, they got their rank from Mr. Parker at Pasadena Studio. So they're blessed in that situation. And like most martial artists and martial art instructors, it's not so much that people can't make the brown or black. It's just what happens in their life between when they start and when that accomplishment happens. So, you know, school gets in the way or they move, jobs, relationships, just they come up and, you know, everybody has to do what they got to do. Uh, most of them made the intermediate rank, for sure, advanced rank. It just starts cycling through. I mean, students just cycle through. Like all the studio owners know, it's like it kind of ran its course and the numbers kind of dropped off but for us that was good because it gave us more room in a small space so yeah, sure sure i think most campers i include myself and that i suppose we started off in the garage as well that's how we got going because we couldn't afford a hall couldn't afford all that other stuff and when you start in the garage it's a bit more personal training and it's a bit more crash and bang too right when you get going it's more old school yeah yeah the benefit the benefit you know when you limit the numbers is kind of like quality control of a product, you can get more hands-on with the student. Whereas if you've got a couple of hundred students, you can't actually work with them hands-on. There's too many of them. Yeah. So the small numbers, yeah, the small numbers for the way I like to teach is very good. You know, like yeah. that. Yeah, I had my first black belt. She was a, a, a junior black female. And I taught her father as well, Christina. Her dad is one of my first adult black belts, but she spent 
nine years one-on-one with me, she got pretty intense, full-on training. And then they started teaching with her dad. (laughs) She's correcting him. Yeah, That's not the way. No, Mr. Taz showed me this, and this is the way you do it. And (laughs) and, uh, yeah, he sort of, (laughs) she she had it all, you know, so it was good. It was good, yeah. And he keeps relaying the story to me going, I'm, I'm like, she keeps telling me I'm, you know, picking up stuff, and I'm like, that's good, that's good, you know. <laughs> is the garage still training? Does it have a nickname, or is it called the garage? It's just the garage. The garage, uh, yep. Still working, yeah. We have anywhere, I don't know, usually between five and ten. Yeah, yeah. kind yeah. of fluctuates because everybody's busy. You know, they're uh, high school students, they're college students, there's obligations there. And then, you know, a couple of the guys work, yep. you know, they work kind of rotating schedules. So it varies. Sometimes there's two, sometimes there's 10 and all ranks, all ranks. So I'd, I'd say like myself, someone that comes to train the garage, they'd have to be vetted. They wouldn't, wouldn't be just a walking, they'd have to be referred by someone. Is that right? Yeah. They have to be referred or contact me somehow. Yeah, yeah, and then kind of be invited in. Yep, it's pretty much closed. Yeah, correct. Yeah, sure. And you're still teaching to this day, though. Yeah, still teaching. Yep. Let's talk about Sigula Bounty because we were chatting about that yesterday. You were saying how you you were sort of introduced to Sigul. Can you tell us about that story? As I was telling you. You know, Mr. Labonte, by the time I got to Pasadena, you know, his life, you know, law enforcement, he kind of moved out of the area. We all knew, you know, we all knew the name, but I didn't really get to shake his hand and meet him till a lot later, you know, a lot later on. A great individual, very smart, you know, very wise, and kind of like, a lot of the fellows before us, and of course we're in that boat now, but because he's just so smart and wise and stern, you just didn't imagine him as one of Mr. Parker's really hard-fighting guys in the 60s, right? We'd all heard about that. You know, we, we heard. But once me and Patty met him, you're not really into that scenario it's more about just hearing him and hearing you know his road and what he went through and of course what he was doing at the time you know his work just regular work but a really really good man and you know, I was telling you yesterday I got to teach in front of him you know later on this would be in the, the 90s late 90s I guess I was running a black belt class and he pulled up a chair and sat kind of off to my side in front of the class. But, you know, he just wanted to listen. And of course I introduced him in case there was somebody there that didn't know him. You know, I introduced him and then then he sat and, you know, I told the class, I go, what we're going to do because he's here, let's do curriculum from his era. Let's do maybe a technique or two that, he had when he was training with Mr. Parker, right? So we went back into the technique book, you know, from the 60s, and I pulled a couple of those out, and we, you know, of course, most of the guys never seen those techniques, so it was kind of new for them. And, you know, when it was done, 
you know, I, I went over and asked, so I go, what do you think? He goes, that's amazing. He goes, that took me back 35 years, you know, to when I was learning this stuff. He goes, too bad the techniques aren't here anymore. He goes, yeah. He goes, that's crazy. He goes, I forgot those techniques, right? I think he was thrilled that we did that. I think he, we were, he was happy that we did a class from his era and his time. It was a really cool moment, you know, really cool. And then, you know, the same with, you know, we're talking about Seagung. You know, we'd all heard about Tom Kelly. Of course, he'd moved on and wasn't, you know, in my day, he wasn't there. We heard stories. And then back in the day, I don't know if you know or not, but, you know, Mr. Parker had the IKC in Long Beach, right? At the same time, Ralph Castro had the California Championships in San Francisco, which was just about as big. It was just about as well attended, as massive thing. And me and Patty made the trip up actually with Mr. Rainey, actually, uh, to fight brown belts. And there had been this rumor that Tom Kelly was going to come out of retirement and fight. It's like, wow, I mean, that would be really cool. Nah. Once we never met him. So it'd be, you know, okay, we get to meet the guy. And then, you know, let's see how big he really is because we heard that he's a really big gentleman. And then, of course, we heard that he could fight really well. So, okay, and sure enough, they call a black belt division, and, they, you know, he lines up, and it's like, wow, like, he's a big man. Like, he's a big guy, right? It's like, you know, he's rolling right about 305 pounds. It's like, wow, right? And he drew, he drew a black belt from Hebler's, studio to fight round one and this guy was floating right about 235 pounds right and i wow how is this gonna play out so they you know they bow him in you know they salute and they take a fight he says and tom kelly hits he kicks this guy right in the face just stone cold kick him right in the face it's like oh my god and it was fast it's like what kind of an athlete is this guy right and, you know, Patty was there. I mean, it was quite, the, the vision was a, a crazy, you know, and you see a guy that's 235 pounds and he is knocked flat. It's pretty, it's a statement. And then, of course, back in the day, even in Mr. Labonte's day, sweeps were legal and gee grabs were legal, right? So, you know, this guy gets up and they, round him up to fight again and you know mr kelly grabs his gi sleeve and does a rear leg sweep and punches him right in the body as he goes to the ground it's like oh my gosh like you know really really cool and of course after the fact of course i mean you know mr rainy got to meet him shake his hand introduced ourselves to him where we're from and you know just a really cool moment you know i was telling you last night we go 20 years after that I get a call from a girl who got my phone number and wanted to know if I could teach her. I said, well, I'll, I don't know you. It's like, she goes, well, I was referred to you. It's like, okay, so who's doing the referring? And she goes, Tom Kelly. It's like, I go, Tom Kelly. She goes, yeah, I'm one of his yellow belts. It's like, and she said to look you up. It's like, hmm. All right. So took her on and you know she did her journey you know and then eventually made black 
it was another 10 or 12 years after that, uh, we actually saw Tom at one of Bob White's benefit tournaments for the kids. We got to talk and he goes, hey, he only goes about 20 years ago. I, I told this girl to call you, man. Did she, she ever call you? It's like, yeah, she did. She, and he goes, what happened? He goes, she made black. You know, he goes, that's amazing. What was her name? You know, her name was, Col- her, her name is Colleen Smith. Yep. Yep. She got her rank same day Patty did. Okay. Well, it was a really, really cool thing. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty impressive. So I, I got to meet Sabu. I didn't get to meet Mr. Kelly. I did go to the Texas camp where they had a memorial camp for Mr. Kelly, but I've heard stories, but it's good to hear. Yeah. There was a, a saying Mr. Parker had, there's a block, there is a block in the system that will work every time against everybody for every attack. And, it, you know, if you were new on the map, you know, they were all like, ooh, you know, what's it going to be? You know, when you heard it, you knew what was coming. You just didn't say anything, right? You didn't want to spoil the punchline. You know, they're all looking at it like this. There's going to be this great mystical answer, right? And everybody goes, what is it? And he goes, your face. <laughs> face. I was going to say face, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your face, right? Yeah. We were talking, I was just looking at my, gave me a chance to look at my notes while we were, those two techniques you were teaching, darkness and dancer, I think I wrote down yeah. yesterday. So just yeah. quick question. I've done a dancer and I've done a darkness. That was Tracy slash sort of technique. I don't know. Well, depends. When you look at all of Mr. Parker's techniques and the Tracy techniques, they're just being renamed pretty much by the same sort of mood, right? It's been rejigged. There's a lot that are, yeah, a lot that are similar. Yeah. Yeah. Just for the listeners, some of them might know Dancer and Darkness. Is Dancer a rear hand, two, two hand rear choke? Is that the attack? Is that the Dancer? Yeah, rear choke. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. Nice. Uh, there's quite a few people that are familiar with that. Okay. Because uh, that'll take them back, you know? Not so much. That's that's the whole idea yeah. of it, is take them back, right? To jog the memory and, and relive those memories. And Darkness, that was a, right. I think it was a, Right hand or flank punch, yeah, flank punch. I think from memory, what I used to learn is that right? Is that yes, a right punch is kind of a cross between, yeah, circling horizon and a backbreaker kind of thing, yeah, yeah, correct, yeah, sort of, yeah, that's sort of how I, I remember yeah. it, yeah. I just I was interested to see if it's the same as the ones that I learned because. Look, I had five different versions, and then when we uh, hooked up with a certain individual, the techniques would change on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's good to see a bit of commonality there, right? And then we were talking yesterday about your training. You said you did quite a lot of intensive training. You got to Brown Belt with Mr. Thompson, your first instructor, but you said by the time you got to Green, you'd run through pretty much all the material, right? You were, um, yeah, all the material. Yeah, you're you're already going through things. Free form six at Greenbelt. So that's sort of unprecedented, yeah. really. Um, if you, you talk about that in today's day and age, there's no way any green belts are getting anywhere near form six. Well, yeah. And you got to remember this is the old 32 program green belt. So, yeah. Okay. There yeah. was no more techniques to learn, right? No. So, yeah. yeah. You know, all the, yeah, curriculum techniques were done. And then of course, the techniques in the form, the knife club gun, we went through all of those and then forms and, it's just maturing out in time for the movement to mature out. 
you talk about Mr. Rainey quite a bit. I know you guys are pretty tight. Yep. I, I have interviewed him already, he's, and uh, he's a pretty cool guy. Like I got along with him like a house on fire. Yeah, we were like uh, mm -hmm. friends by the time I met him. Great guy. Tell us, how did you meet him, and what was your journey there with him? Because you guys did your black belts together, yeah? There's, there's quite a bit of information. Yeah, yeah. He actually goes back to that, that workout section at, at college when that was happening he was on a football team. So, you know, he had heard about it. A couple of weeks into it, he came into the class and, you know, we stood side by side and he goes, what's happening here? I said, that's some pretty cool stuff. You, you know, let's check it out. You know, see what you think. A couple of the other guys that came in from the squad, they kind of took off, but he was, he got the bug kind of like I did. You know, I got invited to the studio, you know, on Saturdays, and then I, you know, I told Jim, I said, Hey, you know, you should bring AC over, you know, cause he, he's into it. You know, he's going to be a good guy. It was about a month later, you know, AC got the invite and he came to, you know, Hebler's studio and we just went right to work. I don't know if it was actually right at that time, but shortly after, you know, that time period, me and Patty were rent a house, you know, me and AC were talking and he was kind of in a situation where you know, he's going to be out, out of uh, a place to live. It's like, uh, that's not good. I'd been down that road. That ain't good. So, you know, me and Patty talked it over. You know, it's like, we, there's an extra room there, the house. So, you know, he said, Hey, you know, why don't you just grab all your stuff and hang out with us, you know, save you a hassle of you know, doing what you got to do. So he, you know, he, he moved in with us and pretty cool times. I mean, you know, he, he kind of got to hang out with the guys were kind of doing stuff, which ended up kind of being the BKF stuff. And then he would do that. I would concentrate on Parker's. We cross train and just find places to work out. So laundromats, malls, any place that was warm in the winter, cool in the summer. You know, Patty was working a late, late shift, coming home at midnight, two in the morning. We'd work out all the way till that time, from eight in the morning till, you know, two in the morning, you know, doing stuff. He started working at managing a studio in Ontario. That's kind of where his little life journey went to, you know, that facility. And, you know, even after hours, when that studio would close, he'd come home. We'd get some food and then, you know, just do more stuff. Like, uh, it, was, it was a good time. And it intent, you know, not a long period, but when you live with somebody and you work yeah. out with somebody, there's a bond. It's like, it's, yeah, correct. Yeah. It's just, it, it's just understood. Like, yeah, understood. Correct. Yeah. Like, I, I hear you. And then you guys, you got your brown off Mr. Thompson. And then tell us, when you graded for your black belt and you had, you told me that story yesterday, but I think it's just, it's a good story. That's <laughs> with AC. Um, yeah. At home. Yeah. Actually there was, you know, before I get into that one, yeah. actually my brown belt test might actually have been more interesting than that okay. one. It was a Saturday and this on, on Saturdays, either Mr. Hebler or Jim would do an instructor's class. And at that time, Mr. Hebler's school was enormous. There, I mean, there were 400 plus students there and there was 27 instructors. 
So they would run the instructor's class, one for a workout, one to have fun. One part of it was to make sure everybody's teaching the techniques the same, to make sure that the curriculum's kind of the same and blah, blah, blah. And one of those Saturdays ended and everybody took off and Jim looks me right in the face. He goes, hey, he goes, you want to go to Disneyland? Huh? He goes, yeah, you want to go to Disneyland? It's like, uh, I thought it was kind of odd because he wasn't a Disneyland type of guy. You know, he was more like, let's go find somebody to fight type of guy. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of weird. It's like, but I got nowhere to go. It's like, what am I going to do? You know, I was going to sit in my car. Right? I go, yeah, let's do that. Okay. So, yeah. He goes, well, just, Grab your bag just in case, you know. I go, just in case of what? He goes, oh, you never know. You, you just might need a gear or whatever. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. So I grab it, throw it in the back of his car, and we take off. But, Pete, we're we're going to Disneyland. We're heading in the exact route towards Disneyland. So and now I'm, I I bit into it. It's like, huh, all right. Pre-trip to you know, Disneyland's expensive. So this is great. You're going, didn't he land? Didn't he land? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I I bite right into it. It's like, you know, we pull off at Cattell off 57 and we turn right. It's like, yep, I can see, see the Matterhorn. I, I can see it. It's like, and then as I'm looking towards the Matterhorn, right, down Catella, my eyes, I look at Matterhorn, I kind of look down, and as we're going down, it's like, phew. There was an Ed Parker Karate School sign. It's like, you know, and I look at it, it's like, oh, what, what was that? He goes, what was what? I said, there was a, there was an Ed Parker Karate School right there. He goes, really? I said, yeah. He goes, well, let's turn around, take a look. So we turn, do you turn, we go back. <laughs> I look to my left. There's Ed Parker's car is sitting in a parking lot. It's like, Whose school is this? He goes, well, it's Tony Sartar and Fred Brewster's school. It's like, oh, because I heard about those guys. I actually met him at Hedler's studio. Some pretty bad hombres. It's like, oh, wow. So we pull our parking lot, and then I see Mr. Hedler's car there. It's like, what's going on here, right? He goes, well, there's something I forgot to tell you. I said, what's that? He goes, well... In about two minutes, you're testing for Brown, so get ready. It's like, oh, my gosh. So no warning, no nothing. Walked in, changed, away it went. That particular day was the last belt test that Mr. Hebler ran before he went with Elvis. So it was kind of really cool. So both you know, both my teachers are there. Not and it's in a school with, I mean, some pretty notorious guys. Actually, Mr. Brewster is going to the Hall of Fame next month. So he's still around. Yeah, really, Mr. Cool. Brewster. Yeah, still around. Yeah, still around. And, you know, we fast forward just, I think it was 10 months. It was 10 months after the Brown. It was about noon on a Saturday. Then, you know, AC's hanging out at the house. And I thought, well, I, I got, you know, there was wind that there was going to be a belt test at Parker's at one o'clock that day. It's like, Huh. So I look at AC, I say, get up, get up, bro, let's go. He goes, where are we going? He goes, I want to take a nap. I said, no, we're going to go work out. 
He goes, where are we going to work out? I said, Parker's. He goes, what do you mean work out? I said, just grab your stuff. Let's go. So we jumped in the car. We actually called a couple of our green belts, jumped in the car. We're heading towards Pasadena. He goes, what's happening there? I said, well, there's something I forgot to tell you. He goes, what's that? I said, you're testing for black in about 50 minutes. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, let's just do that. He goes, you have lost your mind. It's like, no, that's what we're going to do. So we go on this in this in the no, we, he, obviously, he obviously doesn't know we you walk <laughs> we walk in the front door, he goes, you, you're crazy, man. It's like so and you know, it's it's there, it's happening. And we you know, we told our guys, you know, our, our two green belts get dressed, you're testing for brown. And then me and AC Chase and you know, everybody lined up and we jumped in there and I don't think I mean, they knew who we were, but yeah. they didn't know, really know our whole story. And then in those particular days, you're supposed to have your teacher present. And that was kind of the protocol. And then, you know, your instructor would kind of tell Mr. Parker your road. It's like, are you really ready? You know, and yeah, you know, they kind of found out our teacher wasn't there. It's like, well, you guys, you know, it's nice to see, it's nice to be here, but yeah, you're really probably not going to be testing. So, you know, why don't you go sit on the catwalk and watch? It's like, that's not happening. That's not happening. Where we're testing. There's a bunch of confusion and this and that. And I said, well, I'll just ask Mr. Parker because he's the guy. So I just, he's sitting in the number one spot. I just leaned over and asked him. Like, hey, you know, it's like, we're ready. We're good. You know, what do you think? He goes, they're testing like that. There we go. We There you have it. Pretty fun day. <laughs> Great. Nice. Nice. So what do you remember? What year that was? 74. 1974. Nice. Nice. Did you spend a lot of time with Mr. Parker and... Do you have any stories or moments you could share with, with us and our listeners? To... You know, my particular story doesn't have hours and hours with Mr. Parker. There was, you know, the times at his studio, either on formal classes that he would have at Pasadena or the belt exams at Pasadena, or if me and Patty were there, and he happened to be there either running classes or checking on the business or checking on the office. I didn't spend hours and hours with them, never claimed to. It's like, no, like all of us, I mean, there's stories, there's memories. I guess a lot of the stories, Pete, I try and let the people understand or try and like, what was he like? Yes. Who was he? Right. Okay. So. One of the things that I like to tell people about Mr. Parker is there was a night where we were doing Friday night line with Roger and Yosh. And this is just the normal Friday night line with about 20 guys blasting away, just doing what we do. We do techniques out of four and four, five and six. We're just having a good time. Blah, blah, blah. Mr. Parker walks in the back door and then he, you know, he walks down the catwalk and he sits right next to Patty and they started to talk. 
when he's there, when he's present, you want to do his sport as best you can. So you're you're doing karate the best you can because he's watching you, right? So that's the you're just you're doing your thing. So we do our thing, and he keeps talking with her and blah blah blah. And then we actually finish class; they're still talking. It's like, well, that's kind of cool. And then it finally gets to the point where me and Patty are on the way home. We're now we're driving home in our car, and of course, I you know, I look at her. I go, "What do you say about me?" Did he say some cool things about what I was doing? You know, the techniques because she goes, "No." I go, "What do you mean?" <laughs> I go, "I was trying my best." She goes, "She didn't say anything." Like, I was like depressed. It's like, wow. It's like, I go, then what were you talking about? He goes, well, we were kind of talking about, you know, teaching and school and the girls, you know, my girls, you know, Jenny and Lisa, how they were doing and blah, 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 blah. I go, nothing about karate, nothing in an hour. You're talking about nothing. Right. So it kind of tells you. There's a different side to him, and you know it's not all this macho, yep. hit people. No, no, a totally softer side. It's like you know, absolutely nothing to do with what we were doing. He could care less, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of cool, you know, and you know, kind of tells you kind of what he was like. And then, yeah, there's oh, this is like seventy, I don't know, seventy three, seventy four, seventy five, somewhere in there. And Eddie Downey comes over, you know, from Ireland for the IKC. And there was usually a Thursday night class uh, so the international people could have a class with Mr. Parker at Pasadena. So it's one of those. And Eddie had had his firstborn, his first daughter was a baby. And he makes the flight with her, and she's there. She's, I don't know, like an infant. You know, she's like... Less than a year old. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yep. So the next thing you know, he's a, he starts the class like normal. You know, you line up and blah, 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 blah. And he's got the baby in his arms. Like, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, it's not weird, but what's he going to do with a baby in arms, right? The entire class, the whole time, from start to finish to close, he never let the baby down. The whole time. Right? So here you got this big macho... Supposed to be grandmaster guy, and he's more infatuated with the little baby than he is about five sort, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. There's another one that for me is a, a real important one, and Patty also. You know, the IKCs in the day were big. They were long, exhausting things. And for, you know, Mr. Parker and his family, a very long weekend, you know, a lot of hours. And this was on... The Saturday part of the tournament, and you know, me and Patty worked all day. It's like you know, it's time to get go outside and get some air and just kind of relax a minute. So we go outside. This is the Long Beach Arena, the the round with the whales on it, and we're out in the parking lot by our car, and you know, we close up the car. It's time to go back in and get back to work. As we're going back in, you know, to the arena, Mister Parker's coming out, and he's in in the parking lot. So. We're, we're not at the arena per se. We're out in the parking lot. And he goes, you know, do you have a second? It's like, yeah, I got a second. What's up? He goes, uh, I need a favor. Like, okay, what is it? He goes, next year. He goes, I got an idea. What is it? He goes, I want to create a new division. What is it? 
He goes, I want to call it the self-defense division. What do you got in mind? He goes, well, he goes, we're Kempoist. This is a Kempo tournament, so we need to highlight what we do, and that's techniques. He goes, I want like a competition where we do techniques as part of competition for a punch, a grab, and a kick, and it's flat-out competition. It's like, okay. Nice. Yeah, okay. I go, I go, what's, what's, what's the favor? He goes, the favor is, he goes, I want you to enter and make it work. He goes, make a statement. <laughs> nice. <Ooh. laughs> wow. You remember that one, right? Like, yeah, if that's what you want, that's what I'm going to do. And we will make a statement flat out. And of course that in the next year came around and then of course, you know, entered and he's standing right there. Yeah. We made a statement. Nice. And, nice. You know, in retrospect, it's like we sort of feel that, you know, we kind of got the thing moving in, in a credible way. It's like, this is how it works. Well, I think so, that sort of pencils in your involvement with in the creation of the self-defense division, which is, you know, like I, first time I've heard that, it's a pretty cool story because we, we will have tournaments over here. We're so far-fetched and so far across the planet from anyone that people sort of wouldn't realize that. Like we have... Form sets, self-defense, you know, sparring, freestyle, and demonstrations on musical forms kind of thing. But that's pretty cool to find out that that's where it originated from. But, yeah, like you said, it is yep. it is one of the fortes of Kempo. We learn so many techniques. When do you get a chance to, to show them? You've got them in your little black book, and when you get out on the street, you tick one off, right, if you're lucky enough to, to have a chance to do it. But that's in a private situation, right? right? So... <laughs> There's right. no one judging you there apart from yourself. <laughs> so then you got to get, got to get your own scorecards out, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I do remember hearing a story when Mr. Parker used to do demos. He would call you out of the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> Can you, he did. Because uh, yeah, yeah. I, I try, I well, try to tell the story. So I, I try to embellish yeah. it in the right way, but and never, it's never as good as when it comes yeah. from an individual, right? So <laughs> yeah, it's like. You know, he, he would let us know that, you know, something's up or, you know, he's going to do. And, and, of course, keeping in mind that during that time period, where we're talking about, you know, the, the early 70s, you did a lot of demonstrations because the public was actually very intrigued and very fascinated by it. So, you know, they would pop up and then, you know, he'd give either me or Patty a call, say, you know, hey, we got something going on, blah, blah, blah. I'd say, yeah, I'll be, we'd be there. But me, I, we're sort of bummed in a way because we didn't get to line up with the guys. You know, we didn't get to stand out there with the guys, you yep, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my role, yeah, was to go sit in the crowd. It's like, and the first time he he, you know, he asked me, I go, what, what are you talking about? He goes, go up and sit in the crowd. What kind of demo was that? It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm on the bench, man. <laughs> he goes, no, you'll, fi you'll figure it out. He goes, just wear your jeans and t-shirt. You'll figure it out. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So I get to watch all the guys having fun, you know, showing off in front of a crowd. I'm And I'm sitting in the crowd. I'm like dying, man. I was like, I want to go do that stuff, right? And then he would get to the part about, you know, some guy in the crowd thinks they're a little tougher than what they think they are, right? And he would say, you know, he kind of picks somebody sitting right next to me and Patty, like, you know, with 
within arm's reach. And he would point, you know, and he'd go, well, look at that little guy right there. Just look at that little guy and all you other guys are going to stand up and you want to pick on him just because he's a little guy. He goes, well, the next time you think about picking on some little guy, you might want to think twice. And he'd tell me to come down out of the crowd, so I'd come down on the ground. And then, you know, some poor little guy would have to shoot a right punch, and I would let him have about 55 shots and then stump the, you know, what out of him. And then, you know, the crowd was kind of in shock because they just thought I was somebody out of the crowd, you yeah. know, and blah, blah, blah. And that was kind of his way to end it. But the message was good. It's like, you know, you never know who you're sitting next to and who you're talking to, so why don't you just keep your mouth shut? World be a happier place type thing was kind of what he's getting at. Right? Yep. 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 Yes. We did. I don't know how many of those we did. We did a half a dozen, dozen of those things. And, but <laughs> nice, nice. <you> know. <laughs> but it does, it does give you a different view of him also. It's like he's trying to deliver a message to, yes, not up there doing everything himself. He's trying to deliver a message to people. Yeah. You know, Pete. I remember the first time I met the guy, right? I I, I knew who he was. I mean, I'd been at I'd been at Hebler's maybe a week, right? You're wearing your little white gi, you know, the first one you buy, the little fifteen buck gi. It looks like poop, you know that thing. Yeah, yeah. But I know who he is because there's a picture on the wall, right? And it's it's like ten oh five. I just opened the doors. So I'm sitting at the desk, like I think I know what I'm doing, but I don't. You know, I'm just a little you know guy, and his this car pulls up and he gets out. It's like, oh my God, that's Ed Parker. <laughs> that's the guy on the wall, right? It's like, oh my God. I didn't know what to do. Like, can you go open the door for him? Do you shake his hand? Like, I don't know, right? So he walks in and I'm like standing up. I'm sitting down. I don't know. You know what to do? So I go to shake his hand. He goes, hey. He goes, I'm Ed Parker. I know. I go I'm Paul died. He goes, Oh, I know. I was, I was actually terrified. Like, how's this guy know? How's this guy know who I am? Right. He goes, yeah, Paul die. I said, yeah. He goes, I already have a nickname for you. I go, you do. He goes, Oh yeah. He goes, you're going to be the little firecracker. You're going to be that guy. Like, Oh, so I was like, Okay, so that was a little odd. I better live up to that one. Yeah. That was actually how I met him, right? Nice. It's like, yeah, nice. pretty crazy. That's crazy. So is the nickname Mr. Intensity something that they gave to you? Was that something that I call you? <laughs> I thought, I didn't think I made it up, but uh, maybe I had. <laughs> uh, People call you Mr. Intensity, you're up. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. That was actually from almost day one. Yeah. You know, on you know as people watch the movement or just watch me do stuff is the only word they could come up with just yep. very intentful person you know yep. just and it, it just kind of i never called myself that it's just what people saw out of me it's like it's yep. just the movement 
I'm I'm not sure where I got it from, but I that's how I refer to you as, sir. So I hope you like it. <laughs> I hope I'm not being disrespectful. <laughs> no, I, and that's the only way to explain I, it. When I'm talking to people, times. I say yeah. that's Mister Intensity. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so a little firecracker. I love that one. That's good. I might have to get yeah. some t shirt Might have to get some t-shirts done with that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. That was a pretty crazy time. That's for sure. No, that would have been amazing, amazing. So I was meeting, dealing with Mr. Parker, having a few interactions with him. Tell Fire us a little bit about your dealings with Mr. Hebler, because did you get to train with Mr. Hebler, or was he involved with Elvis, or did you, you obviously still friends and still talk to each other and interact? You know, when I first started at the studio, right, yep. watching, you know, Mr. Hebler was kind of, I guess you would say, I don't know if it, it wouldn't be like at the end of his career, but it was, I think he already kind of knew that he might be heading towards the Elvis scenario. Maybe I'm not really sure. I never asked him, but watching him explode with his movement, with the purpose and, you know, the athletic focus really, you know, impressed me. It's like, you know, that's how you should do. I mean, if you're going to athletically move towards somebody with intent, I mean, that's how, you know, that's how you're going to do it. So in my mind, it's like, okay, then I want to do it harder than that. I want to have more purpose than that. So, you know, if Dave was on the mat and he was moving, then I want to move sharper, harder, cleaner with more focus than that. So it was kind of like a motivating thing. It was kind of cool. I didn't have that much mat time with him. It was all kind of with Jim, you know, not a lot of mat time with Dave, if that makes sense. What stage did you stop training with your first instructor, Mr. Mr. Thompson? And then who became your instructor after that, if you had one? Didn't have one. Okay, didn't have one. So Didn't have one. Was that after no. your, had your black belt grading or after black belt grading or what rank did you get to with Mr. Thompson? Brown. It was just me okay. rolling around the earth, doing karate at a garage. That's it. Nice. nice. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't ask anybody. I didn't have to go anywhere. It's like, no, I'm good. You know, and actually, that it was kind of, sort of instilled by Dave and Jim to stand on your own. You're there. Just be your own man, and something comes up, take care of it. It was yeah. that kind of thing. So, yep, that's what I did. Like, oh, I'm good. The old TCV wants to say something. Yeah, we'll take care of it. Yeah. You know, type thing. Sure. You know, and yeah. I remember going into Mr. Parker's office after the fact, you know, after the black belt. And the IKKA was sort of a very big thing, kind of a requirement, you know, to join IKK and all that stuff. And I can't, oh, I'm not going to do it. Like, you know, AC goes, what are you going to do? I can't do anything. Right? So... How do I do this respectfully so Mr. Parker understands, you know, what's going on? So the only way to do it is go talk to him in his office, right? So, yeah. you know, I drove to Pasadena. He was there. I went in office. He goes, what's on your mind? I go, well, I don't know if this is good, bad, or what it is, but I just want to tell you how I feel, right? I go, you know where I came from. I go, you know who raised me. He goes, oh, yeah. I said, well... 
I go, both those guys, you know, flat out told me, you be your own man, your old light, you know, walk the walk. It's like, I go, that's what I'm going to do. He goes, what are you saying? I said, well, I'm not going to really be joining anything. I'm not joining no group. I ain't joining no organization. I go, but you need to know one thing. He goes, what's that? I said, you got to know that I will teach your art till I can't do it anymore. I mean, you have to understand. He goes, oh, I understand. And that was the end of it. So yeah, we just kind of walked our own thing. Nice. Well, do you have a name for your group in the garage or do you have a, a name for your lineage? How would you identify your what you're teaching and your group of people? Paul Dice Kempo Karate. And the way that happened to be was exactly what I was explaining earlier. Mr. Hepler, as far as I know, was the first guy to put his name on the sign outside of his studio other than Ed Parker's Kimbo Karate. Dave put his own name there. When he left and when we started in the garage, you know, the guys go, what are we going to call it? And so we're going to call it Paul Dice Kimbo Karate because, you know, I want to do what my instructor did. So that's what we're going to do. And then that's what we did, right? <laughs> do you have yeah. a sign or not? Does well, sign? we don't have a sign, but when I graduated high school, supposedly there was two, these two guys in high school that created this thing called silk screening, right? Yeah. At the time, we didn't even know what it was. Like, what is it, right? And, you know, Tom goes, well, what it is is we take a T-shirt, we burn screens, and then we run ink through it, and it goes on a T-shirt. It's like, ah, that's kind of crazy, right? So Dave Thompson, me and my student, says, we need to get some shirts made. Huh. Yeah, let's do that. So we came up with this design, you know, real archaic thing, you know, a two-colored thing. It said Paul Dice Kimball Karate in the front and a crest on the back, which I hand-drew. It wasn't at Parker's crest. It is my crest. And we had them made, right? So we get them, and Dave goes, why don't we go to Ed Parker's school and wear them? It's like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's a good idea. He goes, no. He goes, put your shirt on and let's go. You know, so, yep, we put the shirt on. We actually drive past the, we walk in the studio and the senior guys at the studio go ballistic. You know, they, they're irritated. They're beside themselves. You know, you know, you're disgracing Kempo. You're disgracing a Parker, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, why don't we just wait and see what Mr. Parker says when he gets here? Oh, yeah, we're going to wait, and then we're going to throw you out because he's going to tell us and throw him out of the studio, blah, blah, blah. So he walked. I, I cover it up. He walks in. He goes to his office. Everybody rushes to the office, right? And me and Dave go into the office. And, <laughs> and Mr. Parker goes, what's up? I said, you know, Mr. Parker, I go, I think I have something really cool. He goes, what is it? So I took my jacket off. I showed him the T-shirt. It said Paul Dice Kimbo Karate at the back. I go, what do you think? He goes, what is that? I go, it's silk screen. I go, what do you think? He goes, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I look at all the other guys and go, see, you're not going to throw me out. Like, he likes it. Mikey likes it, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, the T-shirt, that was pretty cool. 
Nice. That that's crazy. That's a crazy story. So that's like when silk screening was originally designed, right? Back then. Yeah. So what yeah, you actually that? Dave still has so his first shirt, seventy eight. Okay. Nineteen seventy eight, maybe somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah, I th- I might still have one of the original shirts. Nice, nice. The yeah, collector's items cool. now, right? They're antiques, Pete. Antiques. antiques. You can't manufacture antiques, right? Antiques. <laughs> yeah. We're we're, we're antiques. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, I like cool. that. That's a pretty cool story. Can you tell us a little bit about your lineage and some of your black belts that you have in Paul Dyer's Kempo Karate and, you know, what you envisage for the future of Paul Dyer's Kempo Karate? If your students were listening or if someone from your lineage was listening, what would you, what would your message be in terms of what you would like to see, you know, moving forward? So lineage-wise, I mean, I don't have, you know, the high volumes of numbers of black belts like some of the other guys do. You know, they've had more students come in, you know, more opportunities for black belts. How many black belts would you probably have in the tree? Probably no more than 30. Yeah. Probably would be accurate. Maybe even a couple less. Not really sure. But, you know, coming from ground zero, meaning white belt all the way through, that's probably about right. You know, Mr. Thompson, he still teaches. He's still active. He teaches in his garage. He actually has a black belt that teaches in his garage. So if you kind of look at it like father-son, you know, I'd be Dave's dad and, you know, RJ Normandy would be my grandson. So it'd be like having your karate grandson teaching. He now has a black belt. So that'd be my great-grandson. And, you know, all of those that come out of, you know, garage environments because we all had jobs and normal things. And as far as the lineage goes, you know, what happens later, nobody knows. You know, both my grandsons are black belts. You know, most of their lives have been here. Yeah, I've been learning. I met them at Mr. Lillard's camp. Yeah. And mo- you know, most, all the seniors know who they are. I can't see them quitting. I don't think they would quit. I mean, maybe they wouldn't. I mean, life, no, we don't know how it goes. But, you know, if me and Patty pass on, they might still continue teaching. You know, Dave, he'll continue teaching. But, you know, he's in the spot now where, Will his student keep teaching? You know, we don't know those things. We don't know those questions. You know, hard saying, you know, what would happen? We hope it continues. Just like, you know, Mr. Parker wouldn't have known, like, you know, what happened in my arts. Like, it, it, you know, karate is a little different scenario because if we all quit, then it stops, right? So next, you just kind next of generation doesn't pass it on, then it dies with the last generation, it's, right? It's... Yeah, it stops. So you always hope somebody will move it forward and teach and do whatever, you know, and that's the hope. Sure. Question, do you have a website or do you have, yeah, I know you're a pretty private person. Do you have any social media or a website or anything at all or not? No. No, we don't have the website. We don't have the, you know, any of the social media stuff no, we don't have that. We did, you know, we did come up with our own crest just to, I didn't want the students to get any harm's way wearing Mr. Parker's patch. And I guess the person that took the hardest was, you know, Matt, you know, the oldest grandson. Yep. He was not happy whatsoever. What, they had a different patch? I'm taking it off. Parker's, you know, he patch. Had Parker's original patch. Yep. 
Yep. You know, and there was some problems going on and this and that. And I said, well, I go, it's just, it's just time. It's like, it, it goes, well, I don't want to take it off. I said, well, you know, might want to think about it. So, you know, we came up with the design, we created our own and, you know, he decided to take Parker's patch off and put ours on. So I've had similar, like we've changed uh, with my instructor. I think we ended up going through three or four different organizations and stuff. And every time you had to, you know, you change, you have to debadge and rebadge and all the rest of it. When I, you know, I was taking notes when I was a student on things to make sure that don't happen when I have a school. And one of the things was I will never make my students debadge because I had to go through it, but they shouldn't have to go through it. And we had our own patches. So, yeah, I think that's sort of the protection for your students is to, you have your own patch, no one can tell you what to do with it, right, because it's yours. Yeah, at the time, there was a couple guys, you know, got, you know, the lawsuit thing. And, you know, I just didn't want any of the guys in that kind of predicament. It's not worth it. It's just a patch, man. It's like, just yep. ain't that big yep. a deal, right? So, so tell us about your patch. Tell us. Well, you know, I was almost thinking about gold with no patch at all. It's like, just who, it, who cares? It's like, just do karate. If your karate is good, ain't nobody going to care what you wear. Right. So then, yeah. then I, you know, me and Patty were thinking about that. It's like, well, that's how I think. That's not how they think. You know, they want a patch, you know, kind of designed one is simple circle scenario. And, uh, you know, you could have done the, you know, martial art configuring and whatever, but it was more just. You know, if you wear the wedding ring, you know, the circle is continuous. I mean, that's the idea. There's, you can pick any spot on it. You make, just go. It's just, it's, you continue. So we went with the circle. Then we went with a circle inside of a circle. And then we kind of put crosshair scenario into it. And then we, I didn't want to lose the red and black or the gray and black. You know, Mr. Parker was here when, you know, when he would talk about his patch himself, live he really was really pounding on the gray part like we want intellect we want people we want wisdom we want knowledge so he used the brain which is the gray so i wanted the gray incorporated in that so we have the gray and then you know go way back you know the red red part theory it was the blood of your sport it's like it, it it's a sport like it it is what it is, right? It's like, so I, I didn't want to lose the red either. So we got the red. I ran kind of the sides out a little bit. And I put a little dot on the the 90 degrees outside of, not outside the patch, but outside the design. And Paul go, what's the, what's the little dots, right? I said, well, those little dots are now you, man. Right? So, you know, our generation, we've we've done this part. We're going outside the box and you guys are little dots. It's up to you to make big dots. That's your job. It's kind of like my way of saying, you know, it's got to continue. These are the little dots, right? And then we put a, it's not real obvious, but if, you know, when you look at it, there's, you know, two red bars, you know, the fifth degree bars, there's two of those to make the 10th degree, right? And I didn't want it to stand out. I don't want this big, obvious thing, but it's, you know, you got to kind of look for it. And, you know, one is obviously it's, you know, my ranking now, but it's 
you know, you're still kind of paying homage to Mr. Parker and, you know, he was the man and, you know, all of that. There you have it, fellow seekers of wisdom and martial arts enthusiasts. A culmination of part one of our captivating conversation with Master Paul Dye. From the early days of his Kempo journey to the evolution of his teachings and unparalleled dedication he brings to the mat, we've only just begun to scratch the surface of his remarkable journey. As we conclude the episode, let the lessons and insights shared by Master Paul Dye resonate within you. Take a moment to reflect on the power of discipline, dedication and profound connection between martial arts and personal growth. Join us in the upcoming Part 2 episode where we will continue our dialogue with Master Paul Dye, unravelling more layers to his journey, delving deeper into the fusion of the mind and body and uncovering timeless wisdom that martial arts offer. Until then, keep your passion ignited, your mind curious and your heart open to the transformative power of martial arts spirit. Stay tuned to the Mind Sensei podcast where we continue to bring you enriching conversations with extraordinary individuals from diverse backgrounds. Until next time, keep your minds open and embrace the path of continuous learning and self-discovery. Thank you for being a part of the journey and thank you for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. Until next time, stay curious, stay inspired and keep cultivating the art of self-discovery. And for those of you wishing to reach out to Master Paul Dye, you can reach him on email at dynamics53 at yahoo.com. That's with a D-Y-E. It's also available on Paul Dye's Kempo Karate on Facebook. Or you can follow the links in our show notes. I'm your host Peter Taz and you've tuned in to the Mind Sensei podcast from Down Under. We want to take a moment to thank all our listeners for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. We appreciate your support and hope our show has been both informative and entertaining for you. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know when we release new content and you'll have access to all of our past episodes. We also encourage you to visit our website at mindsensei.au where you can find additional resources related to martial arts. On our site, you can read blog posts, videos, and learn more about the guests we feature on our show. Finally, we'd like to thank our guests for sharing their knowledge and experience with us. Without their generosity, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you again for listening to the Mind Sensei podcast down under. We hope that you continue to join us on this journey through the world of martial arts.